Thank you, Steve. Chocala mano, we say that in Spanish when you're handing off a microphone. Good morning, Discovery Davis. I am honored. I'm grateful to be here with you um, this morning. My prayer all morning has been, may the grace and peace of Jesus Christ be close to each and every one of you. I want to dive right into a series that you as a church are already in, and it's the series on the study in the book of Ephesians titled Exiles. And so if you have your Bible or you have a phone with the Bible app or you have something that you can read scripture along with us, please um, go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Um, I believe we'll have the um, scriptures on the screen here in case you don't have a Bible. We don't want you to feel bad for not having one. I saw some free ones outside, so on your way out, make sure you pick one up, all right? The word of the Lord reads this, in Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. So we'll continue to read, but I want you to just imagine that. There's a group of people just pointing out how different you are from me and feeling good about it, kind of like today. All right, back to the scripture. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. So again, I want to pause here. Peace for those who are far and peace for those who are near. Peace for those who are far but peace also for those who are near. Now all of us, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. I'll continue to read the next few verses that I believe I left out on um, the screen here, but verse 19 says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. The next few minutes, I want to try to answer this question 
um, that I believe will set up um, today's talk. This question is, how do we in this world follow faithfully when the pressures that constantly try to divide us make it hard for us to press into unity? And I believe that the way we we, we do that. The way we press into unity in the scripture that we just read here in Ephesians and the few verses um, over nine different times, um, the author of Ephesians, um, the Apostle Paul, who was writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, um, uses this idea of togetherness, unity, commonality, letting us know that Christ came to do one thing, to bring humanity together, his children, both who were far, but also those who were near. And it would be impossible for us to press into um, um, unity with each other, listen carefully, if we don't first understand and value what it means to have unity with Jesus Christ himself. Let's be honest. On our best day, there's still a little selfish um, 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 uh, there's still a little selfish agenda in all of our lives. Let, let's just be honest. Don't, don't raise your hand because I don't want the neighbor sitting next to you this morning to judge you for being selfish. But let's be honest. Let's take a close look. On our best day, we will still fight for and look for what is most convenient to us. But with Christ Jesus, who invites us into unity with him, he now makes it possible, according to his spirit, by the power of, of his Holy Spirit, for us to be able to have common unity with our fellow brothers and sisters. So in order for us to move faithfully when the pressures are against us, we need to understand, church, discovery, that we are invited to have unity with Jesus Christ. Here at Discovery Weekly, we participate in what is known as communion where we partake of the bread that represents the body of Christ and we drink of, of, of the juice or the wine that represents the blood of Christ. And today at the end of our worship time together, we will get to participate in this communion, also known as the new covenant. The true meaning of communion, listen church, is to have things in common, that we all get to participate and what Jesus Christ has made available to each and every one of us. And before Jesus would begin his trial, leading up to his crucifixion, to eventually his death and resurrection, he had this very significant moment with his disciples, the 12, in, in inviting them to partake in this communion or this holy supper. And it's an invitation not only to receive the forgiveness of sins, not only to receive salvation for our followers of Jesus, as children of Jesus, as children of God, we would not only participate in his sufferings, but we would also participate in his glory, the everlasting life. Romans 8, 17 lets us know, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, that we may also share in his glory. Jesus introducing us into this new covenant suggests that there was a previous covenant, also known as the old covenant. And so what does that mean? And what do, why, why did we need a new covenant? Most people who have looked at a Bible, touched a Bible, own a Bible, know that the Bible is divided into two parts, an Old Testament and a New Testament. Another word for testament is covenant, the old covenant introducing the new covenant covenant. And in the old covenant, 
God issued Ten Commandments known as um, the law that, that the people of Israel needed to abide by. And if you've ever read the book of Leviticus, you'll realize that there are over 60, 613 laws covering every aspect of human behavior, every aspect of human um, um, living that God suggested and recommended. Do these things and you will be protected. You will be blessed. But guess what? They couldn't fulfill the laws that God had made available to his people. Kind of like us today. We have a Bible that we still can't follow the rules. Hence, the new covenant. Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Because in the Old Testament, the only way that there would be remission of sins was through the sacrifice of, 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 of a calf, a, a dove. And, and so Jesus became this new sacrifice introducing for us this new covenant. And his payment for sin, listen carefully, was enough and is enough for us today. Hebrews chapter 9, 11 through 15, I'll read it for you. For those of you taking notes, Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a hypha sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ Jesus, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, Cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Verse 15, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In introducing communion, which we will partake in, um, um, of today, um, Jesus invites us into unity with himself. Eating of the bread and drinking of this wine is symbolic of Jesus himself with us and inviting us to be one with him. If you've ever participated in communion, a pastor, someone who's leading that time of worship will usually end by saying this, do this in remembrance of me. This command is not just for us to keep an old memory alive. It's for us to keep at the forefront a point of reference that Jesus Christ invites you and I as his children to the table to sup with him. Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that Jesus knocks at the door of our hearts and if we open our hearts, what does he do? He comes in and sups with us, with Christ as his followers. So in order for us to value this command, this exhortation of Paul in the book of Ephesians, calling those that are far, calling those that are near into this place of unity, of togetherness, of oneness, we need to understand it's impossible for us to love our fellow brother and sister who may look different than you, that may think different than you, that may dress different than you, that may vote different than you. It's impossible to love them if we don't understand the value of God inviting us to be loved by him through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Literally hundreds of references in the New Testament, and I'll just share a few that speak of this unity you and I have with Jesus Christ. 
Bible tells us that believers are created in Christ, that believers are crucified with Christ, that believers are buried with Christ, that believers are baptized into Christ and his death, that believers are united with Christ in his resurrection, that believers are seated in highly places with Christ, that Christ is formed in believers. I'm sorry if I get excited, but when I talk about Jesus, I tend to do that every now and then. That Christ dwells in the hearts of believers. That we are the church, the body of Christ. That Christ is in us. That we are in Christ. That we, the church, are one flesh with Christ. That believers gain Christ and are found in him. Furthermore, in Christ we are justified. In Christ we are glorified. In Christ we are sanctified. In Christ we are called. In Christ we are made alive. In Christ we are created anew. In Christ we are adopted. In Christ we are elected. When we understand the fullness of what Jesus Christ accomplished, what Scripture tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That we've been invited to a table, let's just be honest, we didn't deserve to get that invitation. The author of Romans reminds us in Romans 5.8, while you were still lost in your sins and transgressions, Christ died for you. He was inviting us to the table. Another scripture lets us know that as Jesus anticipated this supper with his disciples, Jesus leans into the table to talk to his disciples and says, I've eagerly anticipated having this dinner with you, knowing that he would be betrayed by one who was actually sitting at the table. Let that sit for a little bit. Because of our unity with Jesus Christ, we can now have unity with one another. And let's be honest again, that even on our best days, we can be a little selfish. Our generosity and our willingness to have things in common, to live out unity, to live out togetherness with others is only made possible through the work of Jesus Christ being one with us. And so how do we live this out, this unity with each other? We live it by having unity with Christ. There's this Greek word that speaks of this fellowship of believers. It's the word koinonia that refers to having things in common, communion, to have things in common. And we live this out. We press against the trends of the world. We, we press against the, the culture of the world. We, we, we do what Scripture tells us, do not conform to the patterns of this world. That's looking to very easily disengage from loving one another. As Jesus Christ described, by this the world will know that we are disciples of Christ by how we love one another. And we have to press into that word real good because it's not just liking each other. And let's be, let's be honest, we, some of us, some of y'all can't wait for me to drop this mic because you don't want to see me ever again. I get that, guess what? I am your brother in Christ. But you only, we are only positioned in a place to prove to the world that we are disciples of Christ when we are in that space of when loving is genuinely hard. Paul speaks of what true love is in Corinthians. He, he doesn't speak it as a, as, a, as, a, as a future hope. He says, no, this is what love is. It's long-suffering. It's patient. It's kind. It's gentle. It is not easily angered. Wow. That part. I think that one, we need to repeat that one just for married folk in the room. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. 
It seeks peace. It seeks unity. It fights for joy. It fights for justice. And it would be impossible for us to have unity with each other if we don't first understand that we are united with Christ. And in that unity with Christ, we start to live out this unity with each other, this koinonia, this fellowship. I was gifted a really cool gift this last Christmas. It was a Bose Bluetooth speaker. Now, I had a little Bluetooth speaker before this Bose Bluetooth speaker. Two different things. I had a little JBL one. It was, it was all right, you know. But this new Bose one, like, amazing. And I got invited to a barbecue. And so, you know what I'm going to do at the barbecue? I'm going to roll up with my Bose Bluetooth speaker. Somebody's got to play the right tunes while you're out there hanging with your friends. And I forgot something at home. I forgot the charger to my new Bose Bluetooth speaker. And clearly, um, I needed to charge it because it's a new gift, and I'm using my new gift a lot. So I get to the party. I roll up with my Bose, Bose Bluetooth speaker, and um, I have my phone, and I realize something, that, that my phone, as, as advanced as it is, yeah, I have the new Apple phone. I got that. Yeah, as advanced as it is and as smart as it is and as amazing as my Bluetooth speaker is, there was nothing that would make my Bluetooth speaker work because it had ran out of battery, and I didn't have the charger to charge it. And so I rolled up with a speaker that was useless. And in the very same way, many of us have been gifted with so many attributes and abilities and talents and giftedness, but we only display the collective greatness of all the components that contribute to making this thing happen. That's unity in the body of Christ. That your expression is necessary. That my expression is necessary. That I may not preach like Pastor Steve, but Pastor Steve may not preach like me. And I may not preach like Pastor Antonio, but Pastor Antonio may also not preach like me. But we need the collective expression of the beauty mosaic called humanity. That God came to rescue and save and invite to the table that we would not only have unity with him, but that we would also have unity with each other. It's in our koinonia. It's in our fellowship with one another. Listen carefully. Where God's perfect will lives. It's in our koinonia. It's in our fellowship with one another where God's presence is manifested. Many of us have heard the scripture. Jesus Christ himself said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am amongst them. It's in the fellowship where his presence is manifested. One of my favorite Psalms, how good and pleasant it is when believers come together in this space of unity. My children come to this place for there the Lord commands his blessings and life evermore. And Because of our unity with Christ, because of our unity with each other, this is the best part. We're united on mission. In case you've never heard this before, we didn't get saved just to make it to heaven. Let me repeat that. We didn't get saved just to make it to heaven. Our sins were not forgiven just so that we could make it to heaven. If that was the case, then he should have zapped us the moments we said, yes, I do. Didn't happen. Because in our unity with Christ and in our unity with one another, listen, he invites us to be united on mission. 
that we would go seek those who are far. There are still people in this world that don't know the value of being united and invited to the table to sup with Jesus. And this unity of mission is the mission of the church, the mission of discovery, the mission of revive back in Long Beach, California, the mission of any church that proclaims Jesus Christ as the hope of the world. This mission of the church is the task given by God for the people of God to accomplish in the world. The church doesn't do missions. The church is the mission. Mission signifies purposeful movement, being sent from one place to another for, the pur for a purpose. And the apostles of Jesus were among the first to be sent out on mission to share what Jesus was proclaiming. This is what Paul is writing about in Ephesians 2. I've come to let you know, Gentiles, those of you that have been marginalized, those of you that have been ostracized, those of, those of you that have been, you've been called names, heathens, because you don't look like me. You weren't you were brought up in the same traditions as me. I've come to let you know that Christ came to do something unique and something different. And we get a glimpse of it in the book of Revelation. Revelation 7, 9 through 10, I'll read it for you real quick. After this, I looked and there was a great multitude. No one could count from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands, they cried out in a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And this vision, my friends, this vision, my brothers and sisters, this vision, discovery, is the ultimate fruit of sharing the gospel around the world. Salvation doesn't belong to one culture, to one region, to one language. Salvation does not belong to one race or to one political party. The gift of salvation is given to us by God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. The good news at the heart of the gospel brings this beautiful mosaic of cultures to worship and celebration. And Jesus lays out this role, this mission, to each and every one of us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when he says, and all authority has been given to me on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always. Again, he reminds us, he didn't have to, but he reminded us, you are one with me. I am one with you. I am with you always, even until the very end of age. As followers, as I bring this to a close, as followers of Christ, our mission is to be disciples that make disciples. To be a people that are caring for those that are far, but we're caring for those that are also near. Because how many of us have been in proximity and we needed to be reminded that God still loves us in spite of us? As followers, our mission is to be disciples that make disciples. The church is a way for followers of Jesus to act together as one body with Jesus as the cornerstone to fulfill this mission. At its best, the unity in Christ we experience in the church can even give us a taste of this beautiful picture we read about in Revelation chapter 7. How then can we fulfill this mission? How do we reach Davis, how do we reach the surrounding cities? How do we reach the surrounding county? How do we reach the surrounding places that God will trust you as a body of believers to continue moving this mission of Jesus, preaching the gospel of Christ everywhere that we go? We do it together. We do it in unity. 
We do it by looking after each other, praying for each other, encouraging each other, fighting for each other, working everything that we can for the unity in the body of couples and become better disciples. Knowing Jesus is a communal activity. We both make disciples. In fact, God speaks to us through our relationship with others, facilitating this communal growth in worship and prayer that we sharpen one another when we are committed to doing life together. And this scripture in Ephesians is a reminder that he's calling us to be one body. He's coming for one church, one people, and he's invited all of us equally to sit at the table with him and be one with him, to live on mission with others in oneness, and to be united on mission, which is to take this good news of Jesus and make disciples of all nations. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. They're going to lead us in a time of worship. And guess what we get to do today? We get to participate in communion. This reminder that Jesus invites us to the table. This reminder that Jesus invites us to be one with him. That as I partake of the bread that represents his body, is that partake of the juice, this wine that represents his blood, the new covenant? Not only am I being one with Christ, but in that oneness with Christ, I'm being commissioned to be one with all of you. I'm being commissioned to live on a mission to be one with you, to be one with my fellow brothers and sisters, to take this good news of Christ everywhere that we go. Let us pray. Jesus, we are grateful for your grace in our lives. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the salvation of our soul. And as we remember your death, burial, and resurrection, from the bottom of our hearts, we say thank you, Jesus. But let us not stay there. Let us also acknowledge that in having the forgiveness of sins, the salvation of our soul, being invited to oneness with you, you're inviting us to be one with our brothers and sisters. So Lord, let us examine our hearts this morning. Let us examine our hearts if there's any prejudice, any hate, any lack of forgiveness towards a fellow son or daughter of yours. Let today be the day that we release that anger, that hate, that lack of forgiveness. Let today be a day where we commit to living as one, for that is your desire. Lord, I thank you for discovery, and I thank you for the work you are doing in this place. Thank you for allowing me to witness this beautiful commission of people who came here to grow here but will grow somewhere else and contribute somewhere else. Thank you for all that you're doing through this leadership. We bless this church in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thanks for having me today. God bless you.